Track and field athletes work with laser focus for four years with minimal compensation for that one moment to compete in the Olympic Games. It's an extreme lifestyle lived and sacrifices made with no guarantees of success. When the Games are done, this next four-year cycle starts all over again to get a shot at another moment in time. This podcast hits me straight in the fields as we hear from Ricky Steenkamp, our 100-meter hurdles record holder, World Cup winner and three-time national champ. She talks openly to Bruce about the athlete lifestyle, financial sacrifices and a heartbreak of despite being at the top of a game, still missing the chance to compete at the Olympics. She teaches us some important lessons like when you're down, it's okay not to be okay and to reach out for help, not to bind our success or identity into our results and how her faith helped her through her lowest moments. It's AJ here from Sports Chaplaincy South Africa and the Call Up Podcast. Get us on your favorite podcast apps like Spotify, Podbean or Google Podcasts. Give us a like and a share. Enjoy episode 3 with our Bruce Naden and Ricky Steenkamp and subscribe to the Call Up Podcast where faith meets sport and life. The Call-Up Podcast, where faith meets sport and life. This is brought to you by Sports Chaplaincy South Africa. I'm delighted to have uh, with me today um, someone whose life and story has been an incredible encouragement to me since I first met her in 2019, and I've got absolutely no doubts uh, will be an encouragement and blessing to all of those of you who are taking the opportunity to listen to this podcast. We're going to be coming with some some a conversation today that's going to be very real and very deep, and I think very relevant to many of us. She's South Africa's 100 meter uh, record holder. She's been an African champion in in her event. She's had many career highlights. No doubt some of those we're going to dive into on this podcast. Reconnect Steenkamp, it's great to have you joining us today for the Call Up podcast. Thank you, Bruce. It's just an honor being here. That's great. Well, thanks so much for making the time. Um, I'm going to dive straight in, Ricky. Um, And everybody has a story of, of origin, you know, where their journey in sport begins where where does it start for you where does your love your desire to be a runner where does that start yeah for me it started when I was was really really young like six years old I can't really remember but um, from day one I really liked running but I have to say I tried all kinds of sports you know I tried literally my mom my parents gave me the opportunity to to try out everything, but I just wanted to run, especially mm. sprints. And then maybe uh, only later in life, it turned out to to do hurdles. But um, yeah, I, you know, ironically, I wasn't a very um, talented athlete from, from a very young age. Um, I was a, a, a slow developer, uh, a late bloomer, if you want to call it that. So uh, in primary school, you know, I really tried to run, but I wasn't a, a front runner, if I can say it that way. Um, so yeah, but I really loved it. Um, and I was, I was fortunate enough to one of my, my best friends, uh, her whole family was, you know, Springbok athletes and they really had a, a had a positive influence in my life as well. Um, you know, just showing me, you know, you know, a little kid starts to dream, you know, so I saw in their house, 
you know, the albums and the photos of these athletes. So I started dreaming about running. So I always wanted to run, um, especially athletics and track and field. But as a young child, I tried out everything. And only later in life, in high school, I would say from 16 years old, um, I started coming through as a, as a promising athlete. Yeah, so, I mean, that's, yeah that's, I, that's so that's so interesting because you, you know actually you love the sport <laughs> before you excelled at it and 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 I think there's a there's a great message in that for all of us isn't it actually your desire your passion to run was there long before long before you excelled but at what point did you you realize actually I might be able to make a career out of this yeah so for me that was only later um you know, I really, when I was 16 years old, I won my first race to, <laughs> um, and in hurdles as well. So that was only when I started with hurdles. Um, I would say, Bruce, when I was matric and I won the national senior title, um, that was the day when I decided and knew, okay, maybe I should pursue this as a career. Um, you know, I have to say I'm very lucky with parents that supported that. Uh, that made it easier and possible, especially in my mind, you know, because if you don't have that support, it's it's difficult to see that as an option. Mm, mm. Yeah, and 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 you know, lots of people won't be familiar with what it what it what it takes to be a professional athlete. I, I imagine many people who listen to this are probably uh, familiar with team sports, you know, where athletes get centrally contracted to a club or a franchise or a national team. You know, and they then get salaried. They have a contract for so many years. They get paid. You know, this is an individual sport. You know, you've got to pay for coaching, haven't you? For gym, for physio, for travel. You know, how do you finance a full-time athletics career? Yeah, so it is. It is quite different than than team sports, and it is. To be honest, in the beginning, I didn't know what I was heading into starting this as a career. Um, so the first few years running for the university, I didn't have, you know, I didn't, I had a bursary at the, at the, at the university and I just ran for, for tax. But later when you, when you really want to, you know, do it as a career and be able to look after yourself financially, then you'll have to have an agent and they usually get you a shoe contract and the shoe contract pays you a basic retainer. And from that, you have to pay everything yourself. You have to pay your fissurables, your all of that, and it adds up. And uh, it's it's definitely not easy, um, and it is not um, yeah. So it's not it's not very common or easy just to get a shoe contract. Is really you have to show yourself for a few years. Um, so in and then if you don't have a shoe contract you have to make other plans like parents that support athletes there are other companies that here and they help out but it's not it's not easy <laughs> if that makes sense yeah yeah and 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 i guess you know that might be hard for people to understand you know here you are one of the top track track athletes um in south africa and yet finances are a, a huge huge struggle um and 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 that must be difficult to navigate i mean obviously going to university would have helped enormously um but post university um you've got to find find your way and and you know there must have been there must have been some real challenges in that over the years definitely um you have to you have to make a plan and 
that also puts a lot of extra pressure on the athlete because if you perform then it's obviously better but usually you can't you can only have so much control over your performance you don't want that external pressures on you so that is and i think that's also the reason why so many athletes stop uh, yeah. prematurely their careers unfortunately um you know there are a lot of sports that are bigger in south africa and the individual sports they you know they <laughs> Yeah, it is. It is definitely difficult financially. Yeah, although I, I would say I think some of the same pressures. You know, if you've got a year or two years left on your contract, you know, and maybe you're not playing regularly or your form's dropped, there are always those worries and concerns about whether or not you're going to get a new contract, either where you are at the moment or or, or somewhere else um, after that. So I think the same pressures are there for for many athletes, but I think yours are unique. Uh, yours is a support sport where I think when you're at the very, very elite level, then the rewards come. But, um, you know, you, you, you have to fight very, very hard to be able to sustain a full-time athletics career from, from what you've described there. But having said all of that, you know, your athletics career has, has, has brought you much joy, hasn't it? And you've had many, many high points in your career. Would you like to just share some of those with us? So um, that is quite difficult because yeah, it's it's been a almost like a 10, 12 year journey. But yeah, of course, I'd like to share some of my highlights. You know, for me, starting let's say professionally um, in just after matric. So in matric, I won the national senior title, and that was a highlight for me because I think that's where everything started for mm. me. So I will forever remember that. Um, and after that, in 2014, I won the African Championships, and I think that's always a, a great um, memory to to be the champion of the continent, you know. Yeah. And Africa is a very strong um, athletics uh, continent, so it's yeah, that's also a highlight for me. Um, then in 2018, I broke the national record. Um, and that was something that I set my heart on from a very, very young age. I wanted to break the national record. And after school, I didn't realize it's going to take me seven or eight years, but I persisted. And um, in 2018, that happened for me. And I broke the national record again a few, a few weeks later. And another highlight for me is when I won the World Cup title in London, also in 2018, I would say that was the race of my life. I mean, that's, 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 that's really something well worth homing in on, Ricky. I mean, for, for people that don't understand that that World Cup was held at what was the London Olympic Stadium. Premier League football fans will know it as the home now of, of West Ham United Football Club. You know, but it's a huge stadium, isn't it? And the World Cup was, I think there was eight countries involved. Um, so if you like the eight leading nations from different parts of the world competing in a team competition and you were representing South Africa at that. Just 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 explain, you know, what that occasion was like and maybe what your expectations were going into that event, just so people can get a sense of the magnitude of what you achieved that day. Yeah, so as you said, there was eight countries, the eight top countries in the world at that stage. So it was like a straight up final with obviously, as you know, Jamaica, one of the countries, America, one of the countries, Great Britain. So there was very, very strong competition. And just with that said, it was 
just a few weeks back, I broke the national record. So I was in the form of my life. Mm. So for me, it was this opportunity to run against the best in the world, but I'm also in the best form of my life. Yeah. And um, it was the, the atmosphere in that stadium was just amazing. I don't have words for that, you know, walking into that stadium and it's, it's packed and everybody is just cheering for you and you running for your country. But I remember just a few things lining up for me. It was a great opportunity that I had. Um, I got to lane uh, four. So if you know, it's like the best um, lane to run in. Um, and I remember I was, you know, before, sometimes before the race, you can see your ranking. And I was ranked fourth. So I was supposed to, you know, come in fourth in the race. And me and my dad, just we just had a conversation before uh, before the race. And we decided to, you know, sometimes we, we discuss the strategy. It's just something me and my dad always did. And, um, yeah, so we decided to, you know, just go in with that mindset of giving myself a chance. Do not disqualify yourself before the race because this American you know, famous athlete is next to you. So um, we decided our approach for this race is to to race to win and just to, to give it my all. And yeah, so when I put my feet on that track, I, I believed in myself, you know, mm. and I just backed myself. And, um, you know, hurdles is, is such an exciting event because anything can happen. When somebody's rhythm is a bit out or they clip a hurdle, it can affect the whole race. So mm. it is not as predictable always. And if you just look at the ranking, you should, actually you shouldn't do that. Um, so I, I ran that race and I won. Um, it was very, very close, but that was the race of my life. And I, um, yeah, it's just the memory and that whole atmosphere in that stadium just changed everything. And and I, I'm going to be a little bit biased here, Ricky. I think it's fair to say British crowds get invested, don't they? It doesn't matter what the sport is, you Absolutely. know. Uh, British crowds get invested. So in many ways, you know, you did this in one of the most iconic Olympic stadiums um, on a on a huge stage in front of a crowd that gives. You know, that must have been spine tingling moment for you. <laughs> Absolutely, I have to say, you know. I luckily had to, I changed that atmosphere into a positive because it can be overwhelming, especially if you haven't experienced so many people in this big crowd that it's, you know, just so involved. Um, but for me, it was it helped me to perform and, and get the best out of me. And I would say that that crowd, <laughs> you're right, Bruce, it's amazing. They are just so they, they bring the best out of the athletes. That's so interesting because I've I've seen you know in other sports you know some some footballers I especially work with footballers and you know the big occasions some guys you know really really take energy from a crowd and I've seen I've seen other players shrink you know and I think you're right it can be intimidating but it's also something that can give you you energy and what you're saying there is on this particular day you know form of your life one of the biggest events you've ever competed in with a great crowd, you were able to actually absorb that and and enable that to become not a pressure, but a positive um, in your performance. In all of this, Ricky, you know, where, 
where did you see God at this point in your in your sporting life? I mean, how important was your faith? Um, and how did that inform your life in sport up to this point? Yeah, so you you asked me about of about many of my highlights in my career, but I haven't mentioned a few of my lowest moments. And um, you know, I think we learn a lot about ourselves in in the lows, but as well in the highs. But you know, for me, just for example, I just want to mention in two thousand and sixteen, I had a to get a, an ankle operation, which took me out of the sport for two years. So in that time, you really, you are on your knees, you know, to, to ask God and, you know, just for his guidance and should you still run or shouldn't you? And you figure out, you know, your, your relationship with God. But in this time where it was a very, it went really well and I was on the peak of my career, it was just as important to me not to forget um, who God is in my life and who I am in Him, because in sport it's 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 easy to to lose yourself in sport and just to bind your identity in your performance. So um, I wouldn't say that I always got it right, but I really wanted to remind myself that in the highs and in the lows, He He is God and He loves me. Um, yeah, it's it's not easy <laughs> just to to be uh, anchored in that, but for me is is to know that he's the god of my life and not just god of my athletics life, if that makes sense. Um, so yeah, I, I really try to to thank him in that in these moments of of glory and to give him glory and to not forget what I've been through, to always be thankful. Um, for what I do have and also just to take in the moment with God and just enjoying, you know, this talent that he's given me, um, you know, just to to almost worship him in, in, in this moment, because sometimes we just think, you know, this is how it should be, you know, it's, it's going well and this is, this is what I've been um, called for or whatever. And then we, we forget to just take in, in these moments and just to thank God. Um, so, yeah, I hope this answers your question, Bruce. Your faith is, is really foundational in your athletics career, um, but that's about to get really tested. And, and in some ways that moves us to the heart of our conversation today because despite those challenging two years, you, you the trajectory of your career has been upwards you know your national record holder african champion world cup winner despite some some injury issues in 2019 you finished the year strong at the world championships making uh, the semi final uh, and we all know what's coming next it's 2020 it's olympic year you're you're in your peak years as an athlete and i think people need to remember you know even people who have a 10 12 13 year career there's a 3 4 year window often for people when they're at their their peak and you're in those years and it's olympic year and then we all know what happens next it's covid <laughs> and the associated lockdowns how does that impact you in your sport yeah, this is a is a difficult question for me, just because it's been such a difficult time for me. Um, 
But if I if I think back um, at first, just to give you perspective, in the beginning of 2020, I went to um, to Europe to have an indoor season. So it gave me a good indication of where what my what my form was like. I broke the national record in the 60 meter hurdles, and it felt like I was you know showing real good form for this year so i was excited for for the olympics i was also in um in the squad in the provisional squad for the olympics and in 2016 um, i missed out on the olympics because of the ankle operation so for me it was i was at world champs i was a very like big championships but i've never been to the olympics so it was a pinnacle of my career that i really wanted to achieve and then i came back from europe and COVID struck and um, so at first I was, you know, like everybody's going through this, you know, difficult time. We just have to see it through. It's not as if it's just a single athletes that are, that are like, like only going through this or only me going through this difficult time. So at first I, I approached it that way, which I still think was right, you know, and um, as an athlete, obviously you're, you can't go out and train any specific in any specific way according like, that is in line with your event like hurdles i can't i couldn't run hurdles in that time but i had the opportunity to still do in-house circuits and like many athletes has done online and, and on social media as well i tried to keep my fitness and i think i did a relatively good job doing that um, staying positive and all of that, um, but I think mentally it was it was difficult because, you know, in my mind it was at that time I didn't know for how long I should put every, everything on pause, my dream and all of that. So I think not having an estimate, so I have to keep out, you know, three four months. Um, so I think that uncertainty was difficult for me dealing with. Um, but uh, yeah, and also not being outside. I think for me, mm. getting being outside, getting vitamin D, that is what gives me energy. And being having that feeling of claustrophobia, being indoors the whole time, I don't think that had a good impact on me mentally. Um, yeah, and then I think. 2020 was for me, I, I dealt with it okay. I think what happened after that was was unfortunate for me in my story. So let's 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 go there because I think you know uh, you, you you've indicated quite rightly. You know, lots of athletes are in your position. You know, you're missing out on doing something you love. You want to be out on the track training. You want to be competing. You're not able to do that. But you can kind of come to peace with it to a certain extent because other people are in the same boat. They're being impacted in the same way. So 2021 is now on the agenda, isn't it? Time to do a reset. You know, Olympics have been moved back to 2021. No doubt, like others, you're champing at your bit. And I know this is probably going to be painful for you to revisit but what happened next? <laughs> so, okay, 2021 came and I thought at that stage I was in relatively good form, I would say as good as I thought I could be after COVID. Um, but I was I was back in training. And for South, in South Africa, our athletic season starts in the beginning of the year. So it starts February, March, April. And... As in the middle of January, 
I got COVID myself. So I think for me in that time, it was, it felt like the worst time to get COVID. Not as if I say there's a better time to get it, but in my story, I was like, why couldn't I just have got it when we were in lockdown, you know? <laughs> but now I got COVID, like I would say three weeks before I was planning to start competing again. So that put me under a lot of pressure to play catch up, yeah. I felt, because all of a sudden now in the middle of January, I got COVID, so I had to, you know, isolate for 10 days. And then what what should I do then? Should I start training? How hard? When should I plan on competing again? And all of those questions I didn't have answers for because we didn't know how to train at that point or how would my body react or what is healthy or unhealthy? How hard should I push my body? And I think if I had the time, I would have taken more time to start training again. But I think for me, it's just I have this dream of going to the Olympics. So if I look back, I would say I started training too soon. But in that time, I didn't feel as I wasn't affected as much with COVID when I got COVID myself, like in that time. So I, I would say I started training too soon and I really tried to push my body to, you know, start competing in the next month. Um, and that was, that was a mistake to mm -hmm. be honest. Yeah. To, because only later we realized that I pushed my body way too far. And so there's, there's an episode that happens at the national championships, you know, would you like to describe what happened and, and what came to light because there clearly was a, a post-COVID reaction. So even though you not had COVID badly, it had actually impacted you. you you'd got post-COVID symptoms. And would you like to just describe what happened at the national championships? Bearing in mind, you know, you'd won the national championships for, for pretty much a decade. What happens? <laughs> yeah, so um, in, the, in the lead up to the national championships, I had a few hiccups. So I was training, let's say, things that I used to be able to do quite easily. It was, I did it still, but it was harder. And I didn't, as an athlete at that point, I didn't know how to listen to my body because this, I, I can do this session. <laughs> and then I pushed my body too hard. And then, you know, so I got sick just before national championships and I had, it was a very rocky ride. Mm. So. At national championships, it was my first race of the season. So it was, there was a lot of pressure on me. And also I put a lot of pressure on myself because I obviously want to qualify for Olympics. So how do I approach this? Because if I look back, I think it was actually an unfair expectation that I put on myself because the gap was where I was at at the moment and the expectation was just, the gap was too much. So what happened? on that day was I pitched and I said, okay, well, here we go. I haven't had a lot of training. I was sick here and there. I had COVID, but you know, I'm going to go for it. And uh, so in the warm up, I didn't feel as great, but I was like, no, let's, you know, mind over matter because at least we, we can do that. Uh, we have to be strong in our minds sometimes. And this diet is, I just made a decision that I have to be strong today. And, as I was running the heats, um, I ran a, a mediocre race, but I, I won my my heat and I was through to the final. But 
as I was running, I felt like I am dead after this race. I'm not, you know, I'm giving my everything and I'm just not, I can't recover. And as we, as we, and I, yeah, as I went to my, my parents and I told them that something's wrong, this, I'm not reacting as I used to react. And then we, we checked my heart rate and my heart rate didn't react to, yeah. to the race. So it didn't really go up or down. It was just 120 um, beats per minute for the entire race. And what should it have been? Usually you you start like 100 because you're just psyched up and then it goes up to 150, 160 and then it comes down quite, quite you know, um, just a few minutes after the race, it comes down to, to 100, even 90. So it didn't, it didn't react to what I was doing physically. It didn't react to the training. Um, and that was a concern. Um, so I went to the cardiologist after that and uh, I had to withdraw from the final yeah, so the, it's a long story. I don't, I don't know if you want me to share a lot of that, but um, long story short, I had to go to the cardiologist, and he he told me that I was very lucky uh, that I didn't damage I didn't, my heart in any way, but I should definitely rest. Um, so, so now in effect, you know, you you've got this health concern, this health scare, and your Olympic dream is pretty much dying on the vine. Um, mm -hmm. How how did you deal with that? I mean, what impact did this and what impact did it have on you emotionally and spiritually? Yeah, to be honest, you know, I I I try I tried to be strong in that moment, um, and and it was difficult for me to comprehend what's going on because, you know, no, I just have to make it work. I, this is my chance. I'm. I'm you know, later, I'm, I'm 29 years old. I'm not going to run for a very long time still. This is my chance. This is my time. And I really wanted to force it. And mm. I was almost in a way fighting with myself, um, being mad at myself and being mad at my body, even not for, for you know, <laughs> just working with me, but it, it felt like more against me at that time. So in that, in, in, that stage, I would say I was just trying to be strong and in a way burning out emotionally. Um, but it's easier to say now than then. Um, I was just coping and I was just keeping up a brave face at that stage. And you're wired as a competitor, you know, to, to, to overcome. You're, you're wired to compete, you know, you're wired to push yourself. So in many ways, that's a, a natural reaction to the situation. But what you're describing is actually, um, you know, when, 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 when in your athletics career do you need to accept that you can't? <laughs> you know, because you all the time you're being told you can. And most of the time that works for you, but, but, but on this occasion that wasn't working for you. You know, so, you know, I, I, I know having spoken to you at the time, you actually got into quite a low space. Do you feel able to maybe talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, I will share a bit more. You know, I think for me, I didn't felt the freedom to, to share that I'm so weak at this moment because as an athlete, we always, we, we train ourselves to be strong to be the leader even, you know, I really, in my in my life and in my career, I always wanted to be a role model for younger athletes. And I was like, no, I have to 
you know, overcome these challenges and I have to show that, that them that I'm strong and I'm, I have this all under control. And um, yeah, I just, even with my faith, I was struggling to like, Lord, why am I, I know you, I know the Lord, I, I'm saved and I know the hope that I have in him and that I'm saved. So how can I feel this low and this disappointed Um in this moment, so I was struggling with these questions, you know, so at that stage, I reached a point where I was burned out emotionally and mentally, I couldn't fight it anymore. Um, I couldn't put up a brave face any longer. And then, you know, for me, it was the best thing to admit that, because that is when the healing started. And I gave myself a month or two to heal and to let go because for me that was the most difficult thing the moment where i said okay i'm going to give myself the two months just to rest just to heal i also knew that was i'm giving up my dream then and i think that was the and that's a grief isn't it you know anybody who's heard your story up to this point is you've invested your life in an athletics career you've invested yourself in this uh, from a place of faith and a place of loving what you do. And now you're having to confront the, the greatest disappointment of your life. And I think you've already touched upon this, but maybe it's worth exploring a bit further. But actually within the church and within the world of sport, there are a lot of unhealthy beliefs that, you know, you had to confront and work through to actually come to a place of, of acceptance you know, would you like to unpack that a little bit more? You know, what are some of those unhealthy beliefs that can sometimes be, excuse the pun, hurdles that can stop us actually being emotionally and spiritually healthy? Yeah, I would I would say one of the things that I really helped me um, and uh, that I struggled with within the church as well is, you know, we, we cannot perform for God. We cannot... Um, you know, put up a brave face, you know, I mean, somebody asks you always like, how are you? No, great, the, the best is yet to come, God is good. And not as if those things aren't true, but when you're in a space like this, to be spiritually and emotionally honest is better because God knows everything. He sees mm. everything. So for me, it was just going through that process of being absolutely vulnerable and real with God and telling him, Lord, I don't understand why I'm going through this. You know, I really wanted to achieve this thing and I was trying to put it in your hands and it failed. And why did it fail? And why do I feel like a failure? And, you know, just, just being real with God. I think that's that's better. And, and also, when somebody is as vulnerable as I just mentioned, not to condemn them and tell them, they have to have more faith and, you know, just that feeling of you have to be better. Um, you know, for me, I remember I, we had a call in that time and you you shared with me, you know, examples out of the Bible of people who were depressed <laughs> at some point. And it just, it helped me, it encouraged me that I'm human and people in, in the Word of God, they're just as human as I am. And we all need God just as much. Yeah. And you might recall, you know, one of the things that I often say is that we have a tendency 
as Christians to jump from the pain of Good Friday to, to the resurrection of, of Easter Sunday without the silence and the weeping and the questioning of, of Easter Saturday. Yeah. You know, um, and, you know, we, we've got plenty of examples, Job being one of them in the Old Testament. He says, even today, my complaint is bitter. This is Job 23. His hand is heavy in spite of my groaning. I would state my case before God and fill my life with arguments. And God doesn't reject Job. Job is emotionally honest. He brings, you know, his, his Easter Saturday, his silence, his weeping, his questioning before God. And actually, that's the emotionally healthy and spiritually honest way of dealing with pain. And I, one of the things that really inspired me about you, Ricky, is, is actually the way you were willing to, to, to kind of not just question, but, but ignore those unhealthy theologies and doctrines that stop us doing that with, with God. Um, but let's, let's move on in the conversation. You know, clearly it impacted you. What did you learn through this about yourself and about God? One thing that I really learned about myself is, um, you know, how to better deal with the emotions that I experience in a healthier way, not to bottle them up but rather to, to talk to people in a place where you feel safe. I think as an athlete, we are used to putting up a brave face, being strong. We've got everything under control and portraying that picture to the outside world. And I also wanted to do that. But there is a place where we have to acknowledge our feelings and our emotions. So that's something that I learned about myself, how to better deal with my emotions. And what I learned about God is that when I am absolutely honest with him and vulnerable, he is right there with you. You know, he is not, he is, his love is unconditional. He's constant. You haven't failed him when you couldn't perform and reach your dream. You know, because sometimes we think when I'm an Olympian and, you know, then I can glorify God on and, and I will get a, a platform to, to, to speak about God and glorify his name. And I felt like I had this struggle with God, like, you know, I wanted to to do this with you, God, and, and glorify your name, and what now? And I just realized that we can glorify God in those moments as well, when we mm. hit rock bottom and he's there, right there with us. And I think that's that's just amazing. Um, and, I, and I've got no doubt, Ricky, God's being glorified right now as people who listen to this who are confronting their own pain and their own struggle are hearing somebody saying it's okay to be real and honest with God and to accept that you're in a, a painful place and you you need you need help you know God puts us in community for a reason um, find where those safe spaces are and where those people are who are going to love you unconditionally uh, and allow you to be honest and allow you to, 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 to bring your questions and your lament before God. And Ricky, you've been a great example of that in your life and in your career. So I've got no doubt um, whether you've got a gold medal around your neck or you've got a, a record uh, that you've broken or whether you're sharing this painful chapter in your life, um, you're glorifying and, and honoring God. But to, to, as we begin to wrap things up, what, what next for Rickinette Steam Camp? Um, South African hurdles champion, World Cup winner, national record holder. What next for Rickonet Steenkamp? Yeah, so this is this is also um, 
A good question that you're asking at this moment. So I am retiring from the sport at this moment. And it's been a very, very difficult uh, decision to make. But um, this it's also a new season and I'm really looking forward to what is ahead of me. And um, yeah, so I'm actually getting married in March. That is a very exciting time of my life. And yeah, just just I'm excited to to do other things as well and exploring other passions that I have and also giving back to the sport. Um, you know, hurdles athletics has always been a love of mine, a passion of mine, and I really want to stay involved in coaching, in hosting clinics, in doing podcasts like this, you know, helping people wherever I can through my story and through my experience. Um, so that is what is next for me. That's awesome, Ricky. We'll be praying for you. And then the call-up prayer book, which I know you've used. You know, what's your favorite theme or prayer in the, the call-up prayer book and why? Yeah, for me, it's the, the post-competition prayer or confession. Um, you know, for me, it's, it's just always been, it's easy to pray before a race. Um, but sometimes we forget to pray afterwards. And it doesn't matter what is the outcome or if you've ran the best race of your life or the worst, um, I always wanted to come back to to my foundation and to pray to God after competition. That's great to hear. And we're asking all our guests this, but your locker room worship song. What's your <laughs> locker room worship song? For me, it's it's the song. It's called Highlands. Um, it's a Hillsong song, but um, yeah, it's just it, it talks about the highs and the lows. Um, and that God is there in both of them. That's great, Ricky. Really, really blessed to have had you on this podcast. Um, it's it's an honour to know you. Um, you've got a great story to to tell, and people need to hear it. And very, very blessed to have you on. And uh, thank you for your honesty. May God bless you in the next chapter of your life. Take care, Ricky. Thank you so much, Bruce. The Call Up Podcast, where faith meets sport and life. This is brought to you by Sports Chaplaincy South Africa. The power of his dream brings you here. LIA Productions.